This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope everyone's having a great day out there. We got so much to get to, as we often do on Tuesdays. Randy Johnson will join me here in just a minute, talking gopher football. Lots of news coming out of that team lately, and of course, the big win over Wisconsin just a few days ago. Andrew Kramer will join me here as well for a Vikings film review, looking at why they can't stop the run. And it's it goes deeper than just this last game against San Francisco where they were injured largely on the defensive line. It's a, it's a year-long problem. It's a two-year-long problem. And it's it doesn't seem like it's getting any better. That, uh, that, that much is for sure. Keith Rashad will join me for my least favorite team is my favorite team back on the losing side of things and uh, expressing himself in poetry once again. This time, Limericks... I don't want to spoil it, but they were pretty good. They were pretty good. You're going to want to listen for that here in a little bit as well. So let's jump right in with the Gopher football talk right now. I'd like to welcome Randy Johnson back on Daily Delivery. He gets top billing this week. Ooh. That's what happens after you cover a team that wins the Axe second time in four years, second time since 2003, no matter, kind of depends on how you want to frame it, but... Uh, a big win for the program could have been even more meaningful if uh, Nebraska had beaten Iowa the day before, although who knows uh, how the Wisconsin game turns out if there's a little additional pressure on that game. But nonetheless, they win the game 23-13, so let's, let's start there. Plenty of newsy stuff happened after the game, but just the game itself, um, what did you make of – it kind of felt like the kind of game – they wanted to play and it, it was obviously the outcome they wanted too. Yeah, it was, it was an incredible performance by the Gophers defense. They, you know, they kept Wisconsin out of the end zone. The one Wisconsin touchdown was on the uh, tipped pass pick six early in the, uh, or in the second quarter. And yeah, I just can't say enough about how, how Joe Rossi, his defense uh, shut down uh, Braylon Allen, uh, 47 yards on 17 carries. He was averaging uh, 144 in the Badgers seven game winning streak leading up to the game. And yeah, they just, uh, third quarter, they took the game over, uh, basically just uh, freshman quarterback, Justin Wally, uh, wrestles the ball out of, out of a receiver's hands. Uh, Kendrick Pryor get, gets that, uh, interception two plays later, they're in the end zone. Uh, and they go from there. Whose idea do you think it was, was this premeditated to play jump around afterwards? Ah, that's a good question. I, I, I props out to the games games operation people. That, that was uh, that was uh, everybody had a, had a good chuckle on that one, uh, and, and the fans were loving it. They were jumping around, that's for sure. Um, just in terms of importance, where do you where do you put this? Because it feels like you know the, the the opportunity to do more this season was there. You know, as it turns out, losing to Illinois didn't necessarily cost them the Big Ten title because they still would have lost to Iowa on a tiebreaker, but, you know, opportunity to do more was there, but winning this game feels like it dramatically changes the narrative of this season. Yeah, I agree. Had they, had they lost, they would have finished the regular season seven and five with, with a one and three mark in November when they had the, the, a game lead in the West. Uh, instead, now you have, you have an eight and four record, you know, which is you know, not what they might've wanted, but still decent. Uh, and then you got to got to win over your biggest rival. Um, yeah, if you need needed to go three and one, it turns out in November uh, and beat Iowa to uh, to advance to the Big Ten title game, or have 
Nebraska, not uh, Nebraska all over themselves. Um, yes. And, um, but it was, um, yeah, it, it makes the season look quite a bit better than, than the opposite. I want to get to some bowl game scenarios in a little bit, but some news emerged not long after the game. Tanner Morgan coming back for a sixth season, not even a super senior season, a, a super, super senior season. Obviously, the, the rules around COVID allowing for that. And then on uh, on Monday, we also learned Zach Anikstead, who had been the backup for quite a while, is entering the transfer portal. Were you surprised by Tanner Morgan's decision, or did you think this was more likely than maybe I did? Uh, I thought it was uh, – there's a decent chance he was coming back. He had never – Never played it out like it was a farewell season. There, you never kind of showed those type of things. Uh, and then on Saturday, he did not participate in the, the senior day uh, uh, walk, or the, where, where the, the parents were out there greeting greeting the uh, the players. So that was that was a bit of a hint. Um, and yeah, it, it's uh, it, you know it seems like he wants to play as much football as he can here, and uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I mean, obviously, uh, you know he's he's. Uh, a quarterback who's won the axe twice for, uh, with the Gophers, which not a whole lot of them can say that. Um, he's had some good successes and he's had some some down moments too. Uh, um, it, it'll. I figured there'd be some uh, movement in the uh, quarterback room with this news. And uh, first started with uh, Jacob Clark on Sunday. Uh, he was basically uh, you know probably like about a four stringer. Uh, he he announces he's going into the uh, transfer portal, portal and then uh, Zach Anikstead falls today. So what's the quarterback depth of 2022? And do we automatically assume Tanner Morgan is the starter that he's coming back? I, you know, I don't know if you, you assume it, but it's kind of pointed that way. Um, right now, the backup likely would be Cole Kramer, who got a lot of action in, on the uh, Wildcat formation. Uh, behind him, you have, a, uh, he'll be a redshirt freshman and uh, Ethan Calicamanis, uh, pretty uh, highly regarded recruit out of Illinois. Uh, they have a, um, a freshman coming in uh, from South Harrisburg, South Dakota, um, Jacob Knuth. Uh, he'll be he'll be starting. Uh, he'll be on scholarship. He'll be um, basically uh, enrolling in January, the early, early period. Um, so that's that, that's what sets up right now. It, it yeah, there there was going to be some I guess thinning in the room, and that's what we got. Gotcha. Um, Jerry Kill is. Coming back to coach again, and they will actually will see him in the start of the 2022 season because New Mexico State, his new team, plays the Gophers to open the year. That's a little bit unusual. Uh, he's had a lot of different jobs since he left here. When we thought maybe that was the end, uh, specifically the end of coaching for him, but good for him if he if he can do it and if he wants to do it, why not? Yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, that first game uh, on September 1st. Uh, it, uh, he had vowed uh, on a radio interview that he wasn't going to step foot again in the, in that stadium. Um, I don't. Does he think he's going to have to like maybe uh, coach from B Dubs across the street or something. I, I don't know. Well, back back then it was TCF Bank Stadium. Now it's Huntington Bank Stadium. So maybe yeah, maybe that's the uh, clause that'll get him in. Yeah, that'll. Uh, I forgot that he said that on a radio interview. Yeah, it was, uh, it was on um, fifteen hundred ESPN uh, back in seventeen. Uh, he was not happy with Mark Coyle. Some of Mark Coyle's statements about having to change. Uh, culture type the of culture that's right i kind of forgot about all that that's uh yeah well that'll be interesting i kind of forgot that things didn't uh weren't always uh weren't always happy after his uh after his departure but uh 
Well, good, good for him. If he can, if he's coming back to coach, I hope he, I wish him the best. Um, last thing, uh, you know, Gophers obviously aren't playing this weekend as they, they hope they might be in, in the big 10 title game. That'll be Iowa against Michigan, but certainly a bowl game in the offing. What, what do we know? What is, what's the most, what are the most likely destinations at this point? Do you think? Well, it, it, a lot of that depends on how many teams uh, the Big Ten gets in the New Year's Six Bowls. Right now, it would appear that you'll have Michigan in a in one of the playoff games, uh, either either the Cotton or the Orange. Uh, you'll have probably Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, and then the, the good chance that Michigan State would um, go to the Fiesta Bowl. Now, that's with things playing out as chalk this weekend in the conference title games. Uh, that gets a little dicier if, say, if Iowa upsets Michigan. I don't know if they get three in that in that New Year's Six that the Big Ten gets at. But right now, um, aiming with uh, three in in that group, uh, the Gophers, um, their most likely destinations would be either the Las Vegas Bowl and the Music City Bowl. One of those two. They're both on December 30th. Um, there's... More of an outside chance would be uh, the guaranteed rate bowl in Phoenix. Um, there, I'm thinking they don't get to one of the floor, one of the two Florida bowls, the Citrus or the Outback. Um, the Outback would, would would have been one that they might be up for. Uh, they played there in 2019. Bowl games don't want to have you know teams going there very uh, you know in in a short period of time. I guess. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, it's just a little bit of uh, wait and see on uh, come Saturday night, and then Sunday morning will be uh, the basically uh, we'll see what happens with with the uh, playoff rankings, and then where these bowls slot in. The day before New Year's Eve in Las Vegas um, doesn't sound and like that a bad. That one's a that one's a nine thirty game too, so that's that's a that's a late one. The uh, the music bowls as, as an afternoon game. So well, there you go. It sounds like. Uh, not bad destinations if you are a uh, Gophers fan inclined to travel. Certainly better than when they were looking at possibly going to Detroit. Yeah, that one wasn't. You know, they would have had if they slipped up this weekend. That Detroit might have been on the outside periphery there in play. But uh, I think probably the furthest they would have they could have fallen was Phoenix. Okay. Well, we'll see how that plays out. Randy Johnson enjoyed having you on. All season probably won't do this for a few weeks until they play again. But uh, go get to, go get a little bit of rest, and uh, we'll catch you up down the road. Okay, sounds good, Mike. Appreciate it. Now you might notice Randy and I did not talk about Mike Sanford Jr. being let go by the Gophers. That news breaking after Randy and I talked on uh, on Monday afternoon. Offensive coordinator out, won't even be coaching in the bowl game. Had been much criticized. Tanner Morgan certainly had taken steps back in 2020 and 2021 with Mike Sanford Jr. being uh, offensive coordinator and being the primary play caller on this team. will be interesting to see what uh, what direction they go um, and, you know, and how much of, you know, now that Tanner Morgan is coming back in 2022, we will get a clearer picture of how much of the struggles in, in 2020 and 2021 were on him and how many were on Mike Sanford Jr. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. 
follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. It's film review time on Daily Delivery. Andrew Kramer joins me. He's back from San Francisco. He didn't run all the way back, although I think your flight was approximately the same number of miles that <laughs> San Francisco ran for on uh, on Sunday. Now, it, it only felt that way. They had over 200 rushing yards against the Vikings. Felt a little bit all too familiar for Vikings fans, for, uh, similar to that playoff game a couple of years ago where the Vikings just could not stop the run. And when when they've had some problems this year, last year, even 2019, it's been against teams that can kind of get physical with them and and run the ball on them. Um, Andrew, I guess my, my big question for you as we think back on the game and kind of look at the film is what was San Francisco able to do? I know the Vikings had a lot of backups they were playing, but even even the rest of this season, the Vikings haven't been a great run-stopping team. Why is that? Yeah, I think a big part of it is we're not seeing um, them win these individual matchups up front the same way they have in the past, the same way you were used to seeing Linval Joseph dominate up the middle. You think of the games where Linval, a nose tackle, was winning like NFC Defensive Player of the Week. I think that happened one or two times in his tenure here. Um, that's just because you can dominate a center. It's It's much like how you see opposing nose tackles dominate Garrett Bradbury, Mason Cole. You can see how that changes a game and how that disrupts a running game and how you give up tackles for losses, negative plays, and you just abandon the running game. Well, the Niners never had to do that. And frankly, not a lot of Vikings opponents have to because they're just not breaking through the line. They don't have the personnel, the talent. They don't have the guys to win up front right now. And so that's why on that 20-yard touchdown run to Debo Samuel on the opener, um, the opening score for San Francisco, you could see George Kittle, the one of the top blocking tight ends in the NFL. He doesn't need to worry about double teaming DJ Wanham or Sheldon Richardson necessarily on that end spot because he can just go ahead and grab basically Eric Kendricks and hold him and get away with it and kind of set that edge. And that's so much easier for a team to do, an offense to do, when you don't need to worry about double teaming. It seems like half the time the Vikings to get two or three yards in their running game they need to double team those defensive tackles every time. And that speaks to their deficiencies in their O line, but it also speaks to the fact that other teams are bringing better defensive linemen than what the Vikings are bringing to the table right now. Is it anything, I mean, schematically is maybe a little bit in the weeds, but you know, when they, even when they had their preferred lineup, even when Pierce and Tomlinson were in there, I mean, they weren't this when they weren't this bad as they were, you know, against San Francisco and San Francisco's good running team is probably a perfect storm of, good running team against Vikings backups, but is it anything that they do that, you know, that, that isn't good at stopping the run? Are they, you know, not playing a certain, you know, loading up the box enough? How, how do we explain that? Well, I think a big part of it is, and I don't know if it's so much the safeties and where they are and just not enough help manpower in the running game. I don't think that's a big issue. I think what you're seeing, even before they lost Hunter, um, when Pierce was playing initially and they were forcing teams to the perimeter, um, one of the underlying issues with this team is they're not a very good tackling secondary. At least they've had a lot of ebbs and flows. You've seen Xavier Woods, you've seen Bashaw Breland, you've seen Patrick Peterson miss tackles on the perimeter against the run. And um, that the Debo 20 yard touchdown was a good example of that, where it wasn't a missed tackle, but Bashaw Breland could have been a last ditch support there as the outside corner on that play. He gets totally blocked out. A teammate runs into him that takes out another defensive back. And there's just nobody to take down Samuel once he takes that corner. So I think they've had issues in their secondary with tackling. And one of the underrated things about that 2017 defense, and really when the Vikings were really good under Zimmer 
was Rhodes, uh, Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander when he was younger. Those guys were all super aggressive downhill ex- uh, perimeter exterior run defenders. And that helped force things back inside to Linval. It forced things back inside to Daniel Hunter, Everson Griffin, and those guys. And so even now they, they can't even necessarily force things outside. They can just get gashed up the middle sometimes. But even when they had those guys on the defensive line, they were still losing on the perimeter. And I do think some of it is they've played some of the better and more diverse NFL playbooks as far as run games. When you talk about Cleveland and San Francisco, they like to do everything. And Eric Kendricks put voice to that after the game Sunday when he said, this is a very confusing offense to go up against in terms of their running game. And when you got to think for a split second and you're already not winning the talent battle, uh, it puts you behind the eight ball and it's four or five yard runs like you saw. We were talking before we started recording about a stat called win rate. Um, You were telling me, and I've probably peeked at this before, but I haven't looked at it as much lately, that Vikings defensively, especially in the run game, their, their defensive line just not ranking very high in that stat. Yeah, and that's it's always a, a something to be skeptical about when they don't you don't have all the information, right? So the Vikings do um, a lot of we're going to play the run first as far as holding up blocks and not necessarily shedding them right away. There's not a lot of one gap attacking going on from this Vikings defensive line. So this win rate metric by ESPN generally tracks like, do you beat the blocker and shed them within like two and a half seconds or two seconds or something like that? with the play. The Vikings have a little bit of a scheme thing going on where they by design like to hold up blocks and free lanes for the linebackers. So they're already not trying to necessarily just get uphill right away. But at the same time, they've been better at this in the past. And it speaks to how you don't have, like I said, Pierce or Hunter, um, even Everson Griffin, when he was younger, was certainly a much better run defender than he was um, when he was healthy and playing for them this year. And then also Dalvin Tomlinson not being there on Sunday was, it was a huge loss. That was a huge loss when James Lynch, a second year uh, fourth round pick is making his first NFL start at that three tech spot. So I just think it was, it was really a, a really bad storm of factors that came together for the Vikings in terms of personnel, who they were playing. And then, yeah, that win rate metric throughout the whole year has been pretty bad for them. And, and I do think it says a little bit about just the lack of talent they've had up front and available. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they, they did all this work to get their defensive line back to a point where it wasn't going to be like 2020. And now they're kind of right back where they started with four backups playing against San Francisco. Yeah. And, and it's not looking, Mike Zimmer was kind of on the defensive um, today, obviously, because he's getting asked, why is this five and six any different? than last year's and he's trying to say look we're in every game we're not getting blown out it's right you're not letting Alvin Kamara set the NFL record with six touchdowns on Christmas day you're right you're not doing that but at the same time this is their third trip to San Francisco under Mike Zimmer and it's the third time they've given up basically 200 rushing yards one of those games was 180 rushing yards but every time they go out there they get ran over and and it's just it's always one thing or another and this felt a lot like that 2020 defense. That's for sure. Last thing, Andrew, the Zimmer and some of the other players were complaining. I think Zimmer the most loudly, perhaps, about holding penalties and things like that after a game that can sound a little bit like sour grapes. In your estimation, is there some merit to those complaints? Yeah, and, and Ben Guessing actually wrote a good thing for our website at, at StarTribune.com about just the league trends for holding. It's about the same, um, that would, meaning the NFL is just really not calling offensive holding. 
And so all teams have been kind of getting away with it. The issue that Mike Zimmer might have is that the Vikings lead the NFL in holding penalties. They have not been getting away with it the same way other teams are. So I'm sure that's part of what irks Mike Zimmer, but also he's a defensive guy and he wants to see these things called fairly. And the truth is the NFL is just not calling it that much anymore. And, and yes, there is something to that lament, but if they win the game, we're not hearing about it. It's, it's a loser's lament, right? And there was, there was the one t- on the 20 yard uh, touchdown to Debo where Kendricks tried to sell the hold and it didn't get called. Uh, the second touchdown to Debo Harrison Smith wanted a holding call on a wide receiver up, out there on the perimeter um, another one where the opponent was able to set the edge and, and beat him to the corner. So there was plenty of grabbing going on, but Mike Zimmer probably couldn't say with a straight face that his offensive line's not doing it as well. Oh, for the days of the Williams wall and Antoine Winfield tackling everybody on the edge. It was a, I mean, they had a, they set a record one year for their run defense. It's just not the same now. No, no. And it's, it's been a precipitous drop and one that I think people need to just put into context. Cause I'm seeing a lot out there and rightfully so about how this Vikings defense just isn't, it's not great. It's not game changing. It's the offense is what's keeping them in these games. Um, but you just look at the numbers. They've had six guys miss at least two games on defense and it's all the, their main guys. And I do think that that is a legitimate excuse in the NFL when you don't have a healthy defense and you're playing in, in the rosters constructed like the Vikings in a way that is so top heavy. Um, we need to believe them a little bit when back in August, uh, Mike Zimmer was saying, I think health is one of the most important things for this 2021 season, and it just hasn't gone that way for them. Well, if they give up 150 rushing yards and 30 points to Detroit next week, we'll have a different conversation, <laughs> I think. I think so at that point. Yeah, if it, you can do it to San Francisco. You do that in Detroit, uh, we might be talking more about the, the job security uh, at that point. This isn't Detroit. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. We'll get you next week. Thanks a lot, Mike. Now you hear Andrew and I talking about win rate for defensive linemen. Um, ESPN, I looked it up. It's an ESPN analytics metric for pass rush win rate. It, it, it's, a, it's how often a pass rusher can beat his block within 2.5 seconds. Or if you're talking about offensive linemen, can they sustain their block for 2.5 seconds or longer? Run stopping, it's a little bit trickier. Um, the defender can win by beating his blocker. I'm just reading from ESPN.com. Disrupting the pocket or running lane by pushing the blocker backwards, containing the runner so that he has to adjust his running lane or recording a tackle within three yards of the line of scrimmage. However you shake it out, the Vikings have been bad, and it was bad before the injuries on the defensive side of things. Vikings pass rush win rate, 24th in the league at 38% as a team. Run stop win rate. This is, a, as of last week, dead last in the league at 26%. So this is not just a problem of a couple guys missing a couple games. Uh, this is a systemic problem that they've had and really going back to last year as well. So I think they might need to adjust some things to account for the fact that they have been horrendous against the run. My least favorite team is my favorite team. It is time once again. Keith Rashad joins me, um, not just on group text anymore. He's now on the podcast and uh, probably the, you probably get the unfiltered version on group text. Kind of when, when you catch up to the game at like nine o'clock at night on Sundays, there's no, there's no mincing words, but how, how would you like to express yourself about 
Sunday's 34-26 loss to San Francisco and what was a pretty important game for both teams. Let me just first say that I'm pretty sure that uh, more people here are engaged with the group text than in this, this segment. <laughs> I don't know that I'm your most popular guest on the, the podcast. This is more, more about me than about you. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, as we've, as we've come to understand the last couple of weeks, it, it's easier for me to express myself through poetry Yes, when it comes to football, which is really the only language of football, poetry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this week, this week I have decided to, to express myself most particularly through limerick. So the last two weeks it's been haiku. So is it haiku for a win and limerick for a loss or is that just a coincidence? That's just, you know, when you have the soul of a poet, yeah. The 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 words come how they may. And this week it, it tended to it was limerick, right? I think if you if they tie, I think you have to do like an entire novel of like free verse. Yeah, it'll be it sort it'll be equivalent to uh, Elliot's The Wasteland, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. I think that would be about right. Okay, so let's hear we're going to kind of review the Vikings 49ers game with the help of four limericks. I have not heard these yet. I'm a little nervous, but I'm I'm excited too. Okay. Limerick number one. There once was a man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Limerick number one. I shook my head and said, man, oh, man. When I saw colors red and mostly tan, I flashed back to my youth and it made me want to puke. I forgot how much I really hate San Fran. You rhymed youth with puke. Yes, I'm, I did. A soul of a poet. Uh, uh, I'm a little... Uh, but you, the, the larger point is a good one. San Francisco, with the exception of 1987, which, you know, will always have 1987. Um, they have not been kind generally to the Vikings in the playoffs. And even as recently as a couple of years ago, that was who ended the Vikings season in rather familiar fashion to this game with just a boatload of rushing yards. They had over 200 the other day, and I believe they had, that many in that playoff game in 2019. But yeah, if it wasn't uh, Joe Montana or primarily Steve Young, right? They they both had their shots at this team. If it and wasn't it one just, of those guys, it's now the running game getting them. Right. And, and it just, I don't, it, I was watching the game. I couldn't help back, think back to when I really started watching this team uh, in the 80s. And that's, of course, when San Fran was ascended, was the team in the league. And they just could not beat them with, of course, the one beautiful game where Anthony Carter went absolutely insane. And it, it felt familiar. It felt gross and disgusting and familiar. And San Fran hasn't been particularly relevant. They've had their moments. They, they went to the Super Bowl with Kaepernick, who the Vikings couple, still should have signed. And a couple of years ago. Yeah. And so not that long. So they've, they've had their moments of relevancy since then, but they mostly have been in the background. But to see them throttle the Vikings yet again just brought back a lot of youthful, awful memories. Yeah, I think that uh, that that works for me, and it's you know it goes kind of a reminder too of you know, the Vikings' shortcomings. And although I will say um, I can see why Kyle Shanahan has wanted Kirk Cousins in that offense for a long time because he's got the running game, he's got the the defense somewhat to support it. So I say this off season, man, Kyle Shanahan, go for it, go all in, push those chips in and get yourself some Kirk cousins. 
Oh, please, please do so. And we'll speak, we'll speak more on that later. Okay. We'll speak let's, more on that. Let's go. Limerick number two then. Limerick number two. <clears throat> Sometimes you just have to laugh. It can't be explained with a charter graph. It doesn't seem to matter at all which team has the football. They're just so bad at the end of the first half. Yes, that, that you, you packed a lot of information into that. And it's it's true. What have they given up like 66 points now at the in the last two minutes of the first half? Something ridiculous like that. I believe that's what I've heard. Yes. I think that's the stats, though. That's through eleven what that's through eleven games, right? So that's like six points per game. It's like a touchdown minus an extra point, which is not guaranteed, as Greg Joseph showed us again. Um if you know yeah, it's it, it's it's kind of baffling, and it so many games have turned at the ends of those at the end of that first half. I think the back think back to the Bengals game where Cincinnati was getting shut out. Then I think they got two touchdowns perhaps in the last two minutes of the first half, and that Green Bay game almost turned. You know, it did turn, but it turned back right at the end. There's been plenty of games where the Vikings have been seemingly in control, and then they get to the end of the first half and they can't make a stop. Well, it speaks to their weaknesses, right? That's when we see the, their weaknesses magnified, that on defense, they are not very good. They don't have a lot of talent. And they have the, the power that they once did or the capability on defense to, to stop anybody at the end of the first half. And when it comes to the offense, there's a significant dysfunction that they don't have it together enough to figure out what to do to score critical points at that critical juncture of the game. And so it just really is magnifies everything that is wrong with this team. Yeah, it, it really does. And, you know, I think they've, they've had some, like you said, some offensive shortcomings at the end of the first half that have given teams a chance to score. And when teams go into a mode where they're kind of in hurry up, it does expose them for maybe a lack of depth and, and the lack of talent in stopping the pass in that case, although the 49ers drive was a little different. That was more of a, that was less of a two minute drill and more of a, it took forever for them to score, but it, they, they got it in there and got that touchdown at the end of the first half. And it was, you know, it was a game turning play because they, they get it, they get it tied at halftime. And then they, all of a sudden they get into the locker room and they get two touchdowns right out of the gate, by the way, more, re, another return touchdown. I don't know if you're going to get into that with your limericks, but uh, my goodness, that's two uh, for the young man, ever since he came back, like that's in like three or four games. Well, that's really fun and it's really exciting, and, and it's something we haven't had around here in a long time. Uh, but it's also wasted. Right? Yeah, they haven't. It's been in, it's been in losses in both cases. And so, it, getting back to the first half business, when is the last time that you felt good or comfortable or felt like the Vikings were competent with that short amount of time remaining? And that you felt like they could accomplish something on defense or offense on off. Well, both really, but that first half where Kirk cousins, it gets down to five seconds and then he just sort of flings the ball in the middle of nowhere and then throws a temper tantrum. Yeah. That was was going on. That was strange. And what's weird is they've been on offense. They've been very good in end of game situations. It's the, it's the end of the first half. That seems to be this mystery to them and yeah they get the they get the long run back and then they get the touchdown later but you're right they, they got set up at like the 40 something so it's like okay you didn't think there was going to be a chance to get points but then all of a sudden it's like oh they might have a chance to get some points if they can get another quick short completion and try a long field goal but with five seconds left it turns into this it turns into this wasted play essentially where they just don't have anything going there wasn't enough time to i think what I bet if I had to guess what Cousins' problem was is that he probably realized once he got to the line of scrimmage that he didn't have enough time 
to execute the play they wanted him to execute. The time was going to run out no matter what. They needed a quicker play that was going to take three or four seconds and not five or six seconds because they only had five seconds left. Well, uh, thank goodness that, uh, that he doesn't get paid enough to sort of figure that out and make something no, happen. I just he He's the quarterback. He leaves that up to the coaches. Okay, Limerick number three. All right, number three. Speaking of which, <clears throat> I get that football can be kind of hard. Even so, you should be feathered and tarred. When during the game, you have a brain drain and you line up behind your right guard. <laughs> I knew exactly there was, where that was going as soon as I heard the second line of it. But unbelievable, right? It's, it's basically the, it's the critical play in the game and they end up calling timeout. So it's not like they, you know, it's, they, they get them. They were, they were all discombobulated anyway. Guys were lined up in the wrong place. The receivers were going the wrong way. Cousins is trying to get them organized. By the time he gets them organized, he lines up underneath the guard. And his explanation was, I lined up, got underneath the wrong guy, lined up underneath the wrong guy. And that's, uh, you know, that's, I guess you can just explain it away like that, but it's uh, maybe, maybe does speak a little bit to his shortcomings in pressure situations. Well, you think back to last year, right? And last year when Tom Brady looked like he was struggling with the Buccaneers and, and then had that one game where he thought it was third down, it was really fourth down. And, and so it late in the game and, and he made the wrong play. And so mistakes do happen they, and they happen to, to the best. Tom Brady is the best, right? And so it, you can acknowledge that, but the word that you used is exactly right, discombobulated. The, they looked just totally out of sorts so many times. And he looked so out of sorts so many times during the really the second half of that game after he threw the pick that it just, you know, we, we questioned in the last couple of weeks, is this aggressiveness going to last? Is this, is this ride that they're on going to last? And it just felt like he short circuited, which happens with Kirk Cousins. Yeah. And he threw them. I mean, he's only had three interceptions this year, so we can't harp on that too much. But the interception he threw was all too familiar. It was they had just given up the touchdown before the first half and then a touchdown at the start of the second half. So it's 21-14, momentum starting to slip away. And he'd been much better this year in those situations at you know, getting them back in the game, kind of calming things down. But in this case, it felt like a very bad Kirk familiar throw where he just gets picked off on that next series since you know, almost run back for a touchdown, almost to pick six, but San Francisco has basically goal to go after that. And it's 28, 14 before you really know it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so it was a bad Kirk game. It, are they going to be able to recover? I don't know. Last one. All right. Last one. Mike Zimmer's defense is a flop. Neither the run nor the pass. Can they stop? Also the offense is not always great. Thanks in large part to number eight. This whole team can go chew on a dirty mop. I wasn't sure what you're going to rhyme at the end there, um, but I like it. It's, you know, it, it's probably sums up best I how you dirty mop. That sounds disgusting, by the way. I wouldn't want to. Doesn't it? Doesn't yeah. it sound, that's not something that anybody would like to not do. Not pleasant. No, not pleasant. Which and, is you why know, they can go and do that. Well, I mean, watching this team week in and week out is not entirely. It's exactly like chewing on a it's dirty It's not mop. entirely pleasant. It, well, maybe watching this team isn't exactly like chewing on them up because that's going to be unpleasant no matter what this, this team is. Well, I don't know. A mop soaked in syrup. Maybe that's just weird. What are you talking about? Are, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out a way that chewing on a mop might be pleasant to sort of engage with the analogy that sometimes it's okay to watch the Vikings and they're all right. Okay. 
I don't well, know. Soul of a poet. You have the soul of a poet and you are not afraid to express yourself this time in limerick form. And I liked it. It, it did sum up this week's loss pretty nicely. And I, I can't wait to see what you have in store next week if they manage to lose. Now, there's a lot of gloom and doom on that last segment, but I have to point out the Vikings' next three games against the Lions, the Steelers, and Bears. Oh, my. An opportunity for them to go on a three-game winning streak and solidify their playoff position. That'll do it for today. Hope you guys enjoyed all of the football talk. Should be some good stuff coming up. Hoping to talk to a couple of Gopher athletes for Wednesday's show. Still a little bit in the works, but should be able to bring you that on Wednesday. Some other good stuff coming up later in the week, including a visit, I believe, with Alan Horton, radio voice of the Timberwolves. That'll do it for today. Thanks for joining me. I'm Michael Rand. We'll be back at it again on Wednesday.